don't like math. Okay, a bunch of you. Thank you for your honesty. I'm not good at math either, unless the box of Twinkies has one less. I know that that happens. But this is an equation you're going to want. It's really simple. If you want to unlock resilience, knowing that you're going to make it, you need to remember this, that hope plus grit equals unstoppable resilience. Ever start an exercise program or try to make major changes to your lifestyle? (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? And even though you're excited about the possibilities of these transitions to becoming a better you, there's no denying that those things are hard. And as Pastor Daniel will be teaching today, the primary component to achieving your goal is endurance, the ability to stick it out. He'll be teaching you how you can gain the toughness to not survive, but thrive. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, as he continues his message, The Resilience Equation. He is so much more than just an example, but here what we find is that we can look to Jesus as an example, as the primary example of how to live our lives. The writer to the Hebrews, now some of you grew up hearing that Paul was the writer of the Hebrews. It actually never says that. So it's just like, normally people just say it's the writer of the Hebrews. And if you're a scholar, you can argue if you think Paul wrote it or if he didn't write it. I personally think it doesn't matter who wrote it because the Holy Spirit inspired it. And as long as the Spirit inspired it is good, whoever wrote it, who cares? Amen? (laughs) Now, if I just said who cares and you really care, I love you still. Amen? Because I say that, and then someone's like, I really care. And I'm like, okay, well, I care too. Not that much, but hey. (laughs) But Paul begins by saying, look who is the author and finisher of our faith. I love that. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. He is the initiator and the person who completes our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. And here's what I want to tell you. That simple reality, when you say, Jesus is the object of my life, he is the center, he is number one, I must decrease, that he must increase, he is greater than I, that alone is the battleground of Christian maturity right there. Because every single day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we are all still battling. There is a battle going on because we want the preeminence. We want the glory. We want to be the center of everything. And then our culture says, man, you can have it your way. You're the center of everything, except nobody's the center of everything. So our relationships break down and our views of work break down because everything we have is an attempt to prop up a false identity. But when you realize Jesus, he's the author and the finisher. Now my identity is fixed because of who Jesus is. And then I can enjoy my relationships and I can enjoy my work and I don't have to win at everything because I realize the reason I believed in Jesus is because I don't win at everything. He won. He's the victor. But it says, look at Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And then explains that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he's despised in the shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when I think about Jesus as our example, there is so much for us to learn from the life that Jesus lived and ultimately 
his death and resurrection. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 13 to 16. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I always like to remind people that when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, this was long before our great hygiene products that we have. Like most of you, you change your socks every day and all the people around you say, praise God. And some of you go and you get your toes did and you got the pumice stone to get all the dead skin off of it. If you have toe fungus, then they got the medicines to get rid of that. Am I grossing you guys out yet? Yeah, you know, it's like you got ingrown toenails and then they pull that thing out and it's like, and even if you don't like using all the hardcore stuff, you put some like oil of oregano on that stuff. You smell like a pizza shop and it heals the fungus. It's, it's awesome. Can I get an amen in the, in the house of Jesus? Yeah, holla, right? This was long before all that. And the disciples, they didn't have like nice orthopedic shoes. It's like these guys were wearing like Birkenstocks without the soles and it was dusty and they were fishermen. And it wasn't like everywhere you went, there was like a hand sanitizer station. This was before they even had deodorant. You know how that smelled? <laughs> yeah. So Jesus washing the disciples' feet wasn't like this beautiful thing where you go in there and they have a little thing for your feet. They have a little massage. It's warm water and it smells like lavender. And they're like, oh, it's so good to see you today. Can I massage your feet? No, it was nasty. These were fisher dudes. But Jesus washes their feet with joy. And see, this is what I love about Jesus, because Jesus is like, yeah, so listen, if I'm your Lord and your teacher, I washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's like, I'm your example. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. I did this, so now go do this. And then by the time he gets down to the end, he's like, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you want, if you do them. So Jesus invites us to be like him in serving one another. We just had 150 people showed up to pack 10,000 meals. Amen. We have people in our church who serve in all different areas. Just show up. Not because they get paid to show up. They just show up and they do this stuff. Working at the hospital, being a chaplain, doing meals and wheels, all these different things that are going on. Why? Because we see Jesus as our example. Now, what we learn in these verses, though, is also in the book you're going to make an Unlocking Resilience from Life. I, I, I base everything off of an equation that I actually stole right out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I'll teach you the equation. Now, how many of you don't like math? Okay, a bunch of you. Thank you for your honesty. I'm not good at math either unless the box of Twinkies has one less. I know that that happens. But this is an equation you're going to want. It's really simple. If you want to unlock resilience, knowing that you're going to make it, you need to remember this, that hope plus grit equals unstoppable resilience. Hope plus grit equals unstoppable resilience. Now, you might say, well, Fusco, where'd you get that from? Notice, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him. You see that? The joy set before him, that's hope. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's the grit. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Jesus receiving the reward for continuing forward. Now, for Jesus, it's very unique. There's a joy that's set before him, and we're going to unpack that in a second. His mind is fully convinced and settled that God is doing something special. There's something he wants to do. That's hope. And because of that, he is able to endure the cross and he's able to despise the shame, which is Jesus having to walk through something that was awful. But ultimately, it leads to Jesus's glorification where not only is he resurrected, but he's seated down. He's enthroned for all eternity as the King of Kings and the Lord. He's always been that, but now he's walked through tragedy to land there. Now, what I think is so powerful is this is exactly true for us also. Each one of us needs a mindset of hope, and we need to marry that mindset to a way of living that is full of grit. Now, hope, biblically, and I talk about this, really in every chapter of the book, I'm unpacking this equation through all these different scriptures and situations. But really what you find is that the Bible grounds hope not as a concept, but the Bible grounds hope in the reality of who God is. So hope is popular in our culture. People say, oh man, hope, hope floats. Listen, I'm here to tell you, do not hope in the universe. Do not hope in hope. Our job is to hope in God. Listen to Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. See, the psalmist is saying, listen, I would have lost heart had I not believed that God was doing something so I can wait on God. I can hope in God. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We need to make sure that we have a hope-filled mindset. And I'm here to tell you, and this is real personal for me because as I look at the messiness of my life, I have to battle for hope often. There's a lot of things that go on that kind of just, you feel like you're getting gutted by what you're seeing. Situations are heartbreaking, challenging. And what I've realized is that unless our hope is bound to Jesus, that hope is gonna fail. But here's the thing, without hope, if you don't have hope, but you keep on going, like if you have grit without hope, you'll get to the end of the situation, but when you get there, you'll be jaded, hard-hearted, and kind of crispy and grumpy. So many of us know what that's like. I know what that's like. You hang in there, but when you get there, you're not wholehearted, you're not joy-filled, you're not expected, you show up and you're kind of grumpy, crispy. And I'm here to tell you because Jesus said, I came that we might have life and might have life what? More abundantly. That's not the crispy ending. It's not what God wants. So you need that hope. But what's amazing is that if you have hope, but you don't marry it to grit, you believe all these things are going to happen, but you actually never see what God is doing because you check out before it happens. 
Do you see how they have to work together? If you have hope without grit, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. But you actually never see what God is doing because you're out. And if you have grit, well, you're going to stay in there, but you don't have hope. You might see what God did. But when you get there, your heart's not even open to receive what God is doing because you've hardened up in order to make it. So we need them together. Now, what's grit? The way I define grit in the book is doing the right thing the right way for the right reasons, no matter the outcome. Now, I think that this is really important because oftentimes when people talk about resilience or grit or perseverance, it's always like, just keep going no matter what. But what I have learned in my own life is Jesus is not just interested in us showing up. He cares how we show up, why we show up, and he wants to develop our character as we keep showing up. And what I've learned is that when things are the worst, I am the most apt to want to cut corners. And I just assume I'm like everybody. When things are really hard, I want to get to the end of the thing, but I actually don't want to do the right things in the right way for the right reasons. I want to kind of cut some corners as I go. And what I have found is that what God is really interested in in Christian maturity is that we become like Jesus and not just make it to the end of the thing. And so we need to make sure that we have this hope-drenched mindset and then we marry it to doing the right things, the right ways for the right reasons, no matter if we're going to see the outcome that we want. What that means is that we live our lives, brothers and sisters, not just to accomplish goals, but with a greater desire that no matter what comes, I become more like Jesus as I go. So faithfulness becomes a huge part of this. Faithfulness to God, not just to keep showing up. We have to say, God, this is hard. I don't want to start cutting corners. God, I know that there's nothing that would be worse than me getting to the end of this. And I see the outcome of what you're doing, but you actually didn't change me the ways that you wanted to. Because so much of what the Bible talks about, about the, be, the, the ways that we're growing and the ways that we're becoming in Jesus has everything to do with us walking through all sorts of horrible things, hard things, challenging things. But he's saying, you will see what I am doing because I'm a God of redemption. And ultimately, my goal is to make you more like Jesus. And I will use these circumstances to get you there. Now, I know nobody wants that to happen. It's like the number of times that I have prayed personally or prayed for some of you in hard times when I say, God, we want you to take away these circumstances because they are unwelcome, they're challenging, they're painful. But Lord, while they're here, will you bear the fruit that only you can bear in our lives as we go through this stuff? See, that's a prayer of saying, God, Help us to keep letting you do what you want to do to make us like Jesus. And to me, that's what biblical resilience is. It's a mind that says, my God is working even when I can't see it. My God has good plans even though I can't fathom what they are right now. God, I'm hoping in you and I'm gonna keep showing up, doing the right things the right way because I know that they're right with the right heart no matter what happens, that if I'm going to go down, so to speak, I'm going to go down in Jesus' name. And when that happens, that's where this resilience is born. Now, 
Notice what it says here. I wanted to make sure that I keep this front and center, that brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to keep the joy set before us. You need to keep the joy set before you. Because it's what drove Jesus. Look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Now, you have to ask yourself, as it relates to the cross and the resurrection and his glory, what is the joy that is set before Jesus? Does anybody know? Okay, I just heard 87 things, which is what I was hoping for. Praise God. The joy that was set before Jesus is God's glory in his obedience. The joy that was set before Jesus was God's glory in Jesus's obedience. And the fruit of God's glory in Jesus's obedience was our redemption. The joy set before Jesus was God being glorified in the life of Jesus by Jesus doing what he knew he was supposed to do. And the fruit of that was not only us here, but all the people of God who have worshiped in every sort of church possible, house churches, churches in the field, thousands of people, two people. We're the fruit of God's glory and Jesus's obedience. And brothers and sisters, amen. That is also the joy that is set before each one of us. Now, none of us are called to be the savior of all people. Praise God. Jesus already got that one down. But your joy that is set before you is God's glory in your obedience. You stepping into, this is what God has for me. This is the life that God has called me to. This is what it means to walk in the spirit. This is what it means to be a man or a woman of God. God is glorified when I simply show up and respond to Jesus, even when I don't feel like it. God is glorified when someone, this just happened to me. It's so funny. I had a moment the other day. I saw someone I hadn't seen in a while and someone who, the relationship isn't always the most beautiful thing. And so when I see them, the first words out of their mouth was, man, you got really old. And when that happened, I'm from New Jersey, so it's like, I can blame my parents. Like, I have a big mouth, and I can hop the ball fast. And so the number of things that hit the filter of, don't say that, Daniel. It was like, like 87 things. And praise God, the filter held. And I smiled, I'm like, yeah, that happens. And I walked away and I was like, thank you, Jesus. You're growing in me. Thank you, God. Because it's a small victory. It was a small victory. But I know because I've been walking with Jesus for 20-something years that when someone says something and I say something even worse, God isn't glorified when I do that. I've known this for years. Don't get me wrong. I shared the one time the filter worked because normally... If you're around here, you know it doesn't always work. (laughs) But God is glorified in simple moments of obedience. When we simply say, God, I'm not going to do that. Lord, I know that doesn't glorify you. Lord, I know that you want me to be kind and forgiving. Lord, I know that you are glorified when I extend grace, when I bless those who curse you and tell you that you're looking old. I know that that's what your heart is. And brothers and sisters, the joy that is set before you 
is God being glorified in you doing the things you know you're supposed to do. And that God's glory and our obedience that we learn from Jesus, the fruit of that is the changed lives of people around you. Because God has you in this world to be a witness, to be a great cloud of witnesses. So for your kids or for your coworkers or for the people on your soccer team or whatever the context is, you're seeking after God's glory by you being obedient to what he's asked you to do and who he's called you to be. That plays and people can't deny the living letter, the epistle, the testimony of your own life. Of course, listen to Paul in Philippians chapter two, just speaking of Jesus and Jesus' own obedience. This is Philippians two, verse eight and nine. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. See, Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, the death on the cross. And because of his humility, seeking after God's glory, God can exalt him. And that's why in James it says we should humble ourselves and God will lift us up. See, all this stuff ties together. But I think the key to resilience is we have to keep that joy set before us, that in everything that goes on, my friends, everything, no matter how absurd it is, no matter how challenging it is, we say God how will you be glorified in how I respond? How are you inviting me to be obedient to what you have created me for? And let me walk in that, trusting that as we keep that joy before us, we can humble ourselves and we can trust that he's going to do a work. And finally, for today, at least, brothers and sisters, we need to let Jesus empower our resilience. And I think that in a lot of ways, this idea of Jesus empowering our resilience is one of the keys to my new book. And listen, there's so many great books out now about you know, grit from a business perspective. I mean, Angela Duckworth wrote like a seminal work on it. There's all these different books that are out now that you can read. And it's all good except for the fact that ultimately it lands in, you just got to white knuckle the thing. You just got to hold on and don't let go. And listen, I'll be honest. I've done a lot of white knuckling things in my life. A lot of it. Like where I'm like, not gonna let go no matter what. But what I've realized is that when I'm white knuckling the thing, it's because I actually think that my ability to hold on is what's gonna keep me. And what I'm constantly learning as a follower of Jesus is that I know that I'm gonna make it because Jesus made it. I can confidently write in the book, you're gonna make it because Jesus already made it. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel had some tough things to say today. Tough, but necessary. It's crucial for you to remember why you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Remember, God's more interested in your motivation than your actions. He says that in a lot of places in the Bible. Pastor Daniel said several times today how important it is for you to learn to do the work of the tasks that God set before you, trusting Him for the best outcome, not the one you'd prefer. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. 
but I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life, and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus' Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel begins his next teaching, Persevering in the Midst of Suffering. You'll be reminded of one of the things that all people have in common, suffering. Although the degree and type of suffering does vary, everybody gets to have some. What Pastor Daniel is going to talk about is the cause and purpose of suffering, as well as the attitudes you can take toward the suffering you experience. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series. You're going to make it. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.